We are continuing through the book of Luke. We continue in Luke chapter 12. We are at a place now where Jesus is weeks away from his final journey to Jerusalem. He has left the Galilean region. He has entered the southern region of Israel. He is now working his way. Uh, He'll be in and out of Jerusalem. And we know that shortly will come uh, the triumphal entry and then his final confrontation with the religious leaders and they will crucify him. But at the moment, what's happening is he's down there in the southern region and he continues to speak to his disciples. This is a moment of intense discipleship. This is a moment of intense teaching. The nation, for the most part, has turned away from him as their Messiah. Uh, He is still a prominent public figure. Without a doubt, Jesus can draw a crowd. We know that in this particular context, there are so many people that are stepping on one another. Uh, Jesus has had conflict now with the Pharisees publicly, and he's turned to his disciples and is teaching them. Uh, He can still bring in a massive crowd of people. He still has great things to say, and he still does many miracles. And so there's lots of folks who want to all come watch the show, as it were. But the idea that somehow he's going to overthrow the Romans and in their minds, not just in the nation at large, but in the disciples themselves, They know Jesus is the Messiah, but cannot connect how in the world this is going to work out. They they see him not overthrowing the Romans too, and they're mystified by it as well. Uh, That's why on on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Peter finally says, I know who you are, you're the Christ. And it's like, well, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody that because you won't be able to explain how that actually works. And, And they don't when Jesus finally dies. The disciples on the road to Emmaus, they're like, we thought for sure he was the Messiah. And it's like, okay, Jesus at that point connects the dots. And so at this moment, the nation is like, you're not our Messiah because you have no political ambitions whatsoever, which is true. I mean, his kingdom is not of this world. And, but that's not to say that he's not seeking to completely transform the lives of his disciples, which is exactly what he's doing. And that's where this teaching is. The problem, and he has addressed this, is the Pharisees and their view is just, it ends up being total hypocrisy. They cannot do it. The only way to work your way to heaven, by the way, the only people who get to heaven are perfect people. I want you to think about that for a second because that is absolutely true. Only perfect people go to heaven. Now, if you're immediately thinking, well, no one's perfect, good. That's, that's good. You should make that connection. So how do we get perfection? And the problem was the Pharisees taught that the way to get perfection is to be ceremonially clean. And so they had broken the law of Moses down into 613 commandments, which they believed if they kept to the letter, they would be clean. They're not. And the problem of the law And you just have to look at it as, and Jesus points this out as does Paul on any number of occasions. You have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which by the way, no one does. And you have to love your neighbor like you love yourself, which by the way, also no one does. So there do you go. Not to mention that you can't, you can't transform the inside by outward actions. And that was a problem. And that's why it created hypocrisy. They walked around acting like they were perfect, and they weren't. So Jesus speaks to that. And this is his teaching to his disciples, 
although everyone's listening. So he looks at them and he says, beware of hypocrisy. Don't let it in your life. It will spread like leaven. It'll go everywhere. And then he says, I don't want you to be afraid of men. Just not be afraid. You don't have to be. God is watching even over the birds. Two sparrows. You can buy five sparrows for two cents. God is, is aware of the sparrows. So you're much more valuable than the sparrows. And at that moment, as Jesus was speaking of all of these great things, someone pipes up, hey, will you please get my brother to share the inheritance with me? And of course, Jesus is like, really? This is where you're at. This is, this is what you think I ought to be doing. You finally come to Jesus and this is what you come to me for. To make sure you get your cut of an inheritance? Uh, so Jesus gives the story of the rich man, remember? And the, and the rich man who got a huge bumper crop and his response to that was, what should I do? What should I do with all of my massive wealth? I'm, I'm finally wealthy. What am I going to do? Um, well, I'm certainly not going to be generous with it. I'll tell you that right now. What I'm going to do is I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger. And uh, I'm going to say to my soul, soul, just kick back, relax, and take your ease because, wow, you have many goods for many days. And, of course, Jesus says, uh, God says to him tonight, your soul will be required of you. And then who will all of this stuff that you gathered up, who's, who's will it be? Because you haven't used it to further the kingdom of God. You didn't even intend to use it to further the kingdom of God, which is what would have mattered. If only if this guy had sat there and thought, all right, now how am I going to help the poor? How am I going to really use this to lay up treasure in heaven? He doesn't even think it. And now we come to verse 22. And he said to his disciples, for this reason, and I went through all that so that you would get the context. For this reason, everything we just looked over, do not worry about your life. Today we're going to talk about the cure for worry. Stop worrying. This, by the way, is a command. Do not worry about your life. Let me just tell you, the pharmaceutical industry is very happy that the world does not pay more attention to this teaching of Jesus. There are a whole lot of drugs out there that are prescribed and people take and uh, all to help them overcome their worry. Um, folks are... and. The alcohol industry, and today now the cannabis industry as well. All of them are very happy that we worry a lot. So that if we don't actually make it to a doctor, we self-medicate. Anything we have to do to scramble our brains sufficiently that we don't have to really think about all of the things that bother us. That's what Jesus is talking about. And he's looking at his disciples and he's saying to them, I don't want you to worry about life. And he's going to go on, and we're going to look this morning at, at the actual things that he tells them so that you can stop worrying. Worry is one of those horrible things. If you sit around and worry, you, you end up with high blood pressure. You end up with distress, anxiety, depression, fear. You're just terrified. Uh, any, all these kinds of things start floating into your life. Why? Because you're sitting around worried about what might happen. Who knows what might happen tomorrow? 
wide. And I don't want to fill your head with anything that you haven't already thought of. So people worry about all kinds of stuff. People have all kinds of different worries. Some people are afraid of illness. Some people are afraid of financial trouble. Some people are afraid to fly. Some people are afraid of the water. you, You just go down through the list. People worry about all kinds of stuff. Oh, boy, I... I worry that I've got too many pounds. Other people worry they don't have enough pounds. We, we sit around and uh, some people are worried and fearful of being in crowds. Some people are worried and fearful of being left alone. Um, it, it's endless, right? I mean, it's just all kinds of stuff that we're worried about. What we're really worried about, when it comes right down to it, is how am I going to get through life? Am I going to have what I need Tomorrow, to make it through life. Am I going to have enough of whatever in the world it is there's enough of? And of course, that is the problem, right? The problem and the question is this. Exactly what is the point of life? Exactly why are we here anyway? What, What do we live for? Why are we alive? I got to have enough to get me through tomorrow. Okay, why? Why exactly is it you have to have enough to get through tomorrow? And exactly enough of what? And this is the actual issue to which Jesus is speaking. This is, this is what Jesus is going to direct his disciples to. He's going to start having this conversation with them. And the reason he tells them not to worry is he's going to start going through life. What is the point of life? Why are we here? What exactly is it we're supposed to be doing? So he says to his disciples, for this reason, I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. We worry about all kinds of stuff, but we actually do worry about food and clothing. Now, you might say, well, we live in America and we live in a land of plenty. I mean, we, we are just a custom of plenty. We, we don't, oh, come on, we don't sit around and worry about where our next meal is coming from. Uh, um, maybe don't worry that much about it, but just let there be a little rumor that there's a shortage of something. And uh, we have personal experience of watching the shelves in the grocery store empty. Why is that? Because maybe it hadn't really occurred to you, but come to find out we can worry pretty quick. Suddenly there's no eggs, suddenly there's no meat, suddenly there's no toilet paper, suddenly it doesn't really matter. It's, you know, oh boy, you better get some of this before it runs out. You know, next thing you know, we all run down there. Why? Because we're worried. And Jesus is looking at us like, will you please stop worrying? Now, if you think that we don't really worry about food, I mean, seriously, we live in a small town. I want you to just stop for a second and think about how many places to eat there are in this town. And we're a small town. I mean, it's all over the place. Why? Well, because we like to eat. I mean, we have restaurants and grocery stores. And, and we have a farmer's market. Wouldn't surprise me if a farmer's market. I, I, you can get farmer's market stuff even if we don't actually have one. We have online shopping. I can get groceries. And as soon, by the way, as they can actually kind of figure out how to really make this work, we'll have drones zipping around everywhere like big insects, dropping stuff off at our front door. I, I, Quite got all the logistics on that down, but as soon as they can, they, that's going to happen. Why? So that the moment you think you want whatever it is you want, we can just deliver it right to your house. Why? Because otherwise we worry. 
We worry about clothing. Seriously, how many shirts can you wear? I mean, really. How many pairs of shoes can you wear? I mean, how long is your bed? You know, oh, wait a minute. We've got the whole bed lined up. And, and then we got the closet. And then we got, <clears throat> well, we've actually, you know, we've bought boxes to put, you know, we've got stuff. How many? How many pairs of shoes can you wear? I don't know. Ask Emilda Marcos for those who were old enough, right? You know, that's just one more pair. That's all. And that's the problem. The minute you begin to accumulate this stuff, there's never enough. There's never enough. You know, the reason why there's a prepper industry out there, and if you don't know what a prepper is, those are people who think any moment now we're just going to suddenly go into, I don't know what, the apocalypse or whatever it is that they think we're going to go into. And, uh, you know, the whole power grid's going to go down. There's going to be no water and there's going to be no food and there's going to be no anything. And they've got, you know, who knows how many rounds of ammo sitting over here and how many guns and how many stacks of water and food. And, you know, and they're just, boy, they're ready, you know. Have you got enough? Nope. Nope. Still don't have enough. They still don't have enough. I, you know, it's just, just, and that's the problem. If you're sitting around thinking that the solution to my worry is that I just had enough, you, it's, it, it's not. And that's what Jesus is trying to say here. Stop worrying about your life. There's never enough. You're never going to have enough. That's not how you turn worry off. He said, look, verse 23, if you have a worry problem, please listen. To what Jesus says here. Life is more than food and your body is more than clothing. We are not calorie processing meat bags. That's not what we are. We are, we are not just, you know, appetites walking around, right? We're sentient appetites. I, I, I don't know. I just walk around trying to fill my appetites. Whatever it is I happen to have the appetite for. That's what I am. Our life does not consist of how many calories we burn so that we can work at our job, so that we can get more food, so that we can eat that, so that we can burn more calories, so that we can go back to our jobs to work more, to get more. That is, we are more than that. We are more than that. That might describe the life of a cow. And again, even cows serve a purpose in the plan of God more than simply processing grass. Even cows have a purpose in this world. That's not us. We are more than food. Stop just looking at stuff. This is what Jesus is trying to tell them. God has a design and his design for us is that we're more than food processors. That is not all there is to life. And by the way, we are not just breathing mannequins that, you know, we put clothes on. Hey, look at this, you know. Um, no, we are, not, we are not just animated things that we stick clothing on to, to look at. That's not who we are. So Jesus is going to present to us some illustrations. Stop for a moment and think about this. Consider. This is what he's saying. Consider. Please consider, stop. You're worried. Oh, you're worried about this and you're worried about that and you're worried about so many things. Jesus is like, will you please just consider for a moment? Consider the ravens. Now, ravens and crows, by the way, uh, it's kind of hard to tell the difference between ravens and crows. We tend to define ravens as the bigger. That's 
but they're just black birds. They're big black birds. Um, ravens are fairly intelligent. Uh, Israel, by the way, if you look at a world map, if you kind of stare at a world map and you start looking at Israel, you realize that a whole pile of to the east and to the west, you know, north of Israel, to the east and to the west, Israel is a land bridge to Africa. So if you've got a bunch of birds, which migrate, by the way, and they do from all the way over as much as to Eastern Europe, all the way over to Asia, most of Russia and all of that, Turkey, a whole pile of that, all those birds, they all migrate south. Well, when they get down, they run into the Mediterranean. Flying over the Mediterranean might be a little bit of a problem. They want to stay on the ground, so they come over to Israel. To the east of Israel is a huge desert, and birds don't want to fly through that either. So a huge bunch of migratory birds fly right through Israel on the way down in the fall and on the way north in the spring. Israel knows about birds. They have some of the largest migratory, largest migratory pattern goes right through the nation of Israel. So Jesus is like, all right, I want you to consider the ravens. Fairly large, black birds. Uh, you ever see a raven starving? You ever, you ever see them starving? No. They might eat your crops, you know. That might be hard to keep them from eating your crops, in fact. But you don't see them starving. They come through and, and they seem nice and healthy when they get here, nice and healthy when they leave. Where, where do they get all of their food? And he says, they neither sow nor reap. They have no storage room or barns like the rich guy in the parable, right? I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger. Okay, the ravens don't have barns at all. They don't go out and sow seed. They don't go out and reap it. They don't do any of that. And yet, and yet, you don't see them out there starving, do you? God feeds them. God feeds them. The ravens don't get up in the morning going, oh, I wonder what we're going to do today. You know, this is not what occupies the minds of the ravens. Ravens get up and they're hungry and they find stuff to eat. How do they find enough stuff to eat? Well, they find enough stuff to eat because God feeds them. The problem with the rich guy who tore down his barn and built bigger is no trust of God. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to further the kingdom of God with this excess wealth I've suddenly been bestowed upon. And I'm going to take it and I'm going to use it to further what God is doing. That's what he should have done. That's not what he did do. Instead, he he just completely focused only on himself. God was not advocating, Jesus was not advocating that he enter into poverty. But that there be some concern for those who were not doing as well as he was doing. Stop worrying about how in the world you're ever going to make it through tomorrow. You'll make it. I will see to it that you make it. God feeds the birds. God feeds all kinds of things. We look at the book of Job and you get to the end of the book of Job. And Job has what he thinks is some questions for God. He's determined that he's going to get God to show up there and I'm going to put God in the hot seat. I am going to find out from God why in the world he's treating me like this. Oh, that God were down here and wouldn't I have some question for him? Of course, you read the book and sure enough, God does show up. And guess who's got the questions? And it's not Job. It's God. And God is looking at Job like, you really do not get it. 
So here, let me help you think this through. And I'll just read you a few of the questions that God asked Job that relate directly to this passage. Job 38, 39. God says to Job, can you hunt the prey for the lion? Or satisfy the appetite of the young lions? When they crouch in their dens and and wait in their lyres? Who prepares for the raven its nourishment? When it's young, cry to God and wander about without food. Can you, can you feed the ravens? Do you feed their chicks? You know how to go about doing that? Yeah. 39, next chapter, verse 26. Is it by your understanding that the hawks soar? Stretching his wings toward the south? Is it at your command that the eagles mount up and make their nests on high? On the cliffs he dwells in the lodges and on the rocky crags and inaccessible places. From afar he spies his food and sees it from afar. Did did you design the eagle to do that, Job? Do you have any idea how it is that eagles go about even eating? Do you know how the ravens eat and the lions eat? And how in the world it is that those things manage to get their food every day? Do you have any idea how that works, Job? No, actually, I didn't think you did. How does that all work? How is it that the world just keeps working? How is it, by the way, that every time they get a drill and they drill further and further into the earth and they get further and further down there and they dig the dirt up and they actually get looking in it, they discover that there's life? I don't know how many miles down they are now, and they keep pulling the stuff up, and, they, and, they, and it occurs to them, you know, we actually, you know, we really ought to look. And they look, and sure enough, there's microscopic life. Why? Because God made it. That's why. This earth was made to support man, because we are made in the image of God. And God did everything that it was required of this particular ball of dirt to support us. That's why it's all here. And we need to be good stewards of it. We need to take care of it. We don't need to be dirtying the water or dirtying the air or or just wantonly, willy-nilly polluting things. We need to be good stewards. We need to take care of it. But we don't worship it. We're not here to worship the earth. We're not here to worship the animals. God created it all. And Jesus looks at them and says, have you considered the ravens? You don't feed them. Who does feed them? God feeds them. And then he says, how much more valuable are you than the birds? Argument, you know, from the lesser to the greater. If God has a plan on how to feed the birds, do you think he doesn't have a plan on how to feed you? You think it hasn't occurred to God that you might need food? Well, of course it's occurred to God. And if God is going to take care of them, he can take care of you. God has a plan. And then he goes on in verse 25. Worry. You're going to sit around and worry. Really? Which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his lifespan? What in the world is all this worry doing for you? Is it actually adding to your life? Can you actually live longer because you're worried about it? Uh, We know medically now that actually worrying is going to make you live shorter. You need to be careful about worry and anxiety and heart disease and all the other things that set in with that. High blood pressure and all kinds of stress-related illnesses will come and get you. Stop worrying. You know, like the great saying there goes, right? A brave man only dies once, a coward dies a thousand times, right? I mean, it's, it's just, it's okay. God is in control. Now, this is not, by the way, just to be clear, this is not a recipe for recklessness. He's not advocating that you you can go out and play in traffic just because God is in control uh, any more than 
Watching the life of the ravens should encourage us to become vagrants or vagabonds. You know, wow, who cares? Just wander around. Uh, He's not advocating that. But it's clear that God has a plan to feed the ravens. God has a plan. And worrying about it isn't going to add a single hour to anybody's lifespan. So if you can't do a small thing, add an hour to your life, why do you worry about anything else? What, What is the point? Why spend our days and our nights? Enjoy life. It's a gift from God. Spend today rejoicing. Someone has said that I used to pray that God would give me all things that I might enjoy life. Until I realized God gave me life to enjoy all things. The key is to enjoy your life. Worry is not going to get you anywhere. Sitting around filled with anxiety and, and, and depression and worry and fear. and uh, Okay. So you look at our world. We got a pandemic running around just in case you hadn't noticed. And you might be terrified that you're going to get it. Or someone you know is going to get it. Be wise. It'd be important to be wise. There are people who have gotten COVID who it has been quite serious. There have been people who have unquestionably died from it. It's not something we should take lightly. But God is still in control. We just had an election, in case you hadn't noticed. Maybe, maybe it was great. Maybe you thought that was wonderful, the best thing could ever happen to the country. Maybe you think it was an absolute, unbelievable disaster and the worst thing that could happen to the country. You know what? Either way, either way, hopefully you voted, and I don't know what else you're going to do. What else are you going to do? God is in control. You're going to lose your testimony over it? You're going to get online and rant and rave and say a bunch of stuff that you would never say in person only to discover that someone actually knows who you are and the next thing you know they've put your face up there with everything you said and don't think that can't happen to you it absolutely can be careful what you say online I don't care how many layers you think you've put between you and what you say uh, believe me there are people out there who's very good at hunting down exactly who you are so don't say anything that you wouldn't just say be kind be nice Speak truth, but speak it kindly, compassionately. And who knows what's going to happen to our nation? Who knows where it's going, how it's all going to end? I don't know. know. Nobody knows the answer to that. But what I do know is this. We can live for God today. And we can be godly. And we can act like we are lights in the world and we actually know why we're here. We're here to bring glory to God. And we're here to display the grace of God and the compassion of God and the generosity of God. And we are here to live like Christ on a daily basis, at work, at home, everywhere we go. To be kind, to be forgiving, to be gracious. That's what we're called to do. We're not called to be so consumed with fear and worry and anxiety and how the world is coming to an end. I have news for you, the world is coming to an end. Okay, now what? We're all going to die. Oh, that's right. You're all, yes, that's right. You are, in fact, going to die. I know, you know, hopefully that's not news to you. Hopefully you're not like, oh, you're kidding me. Um, nope, actually, uh, I think the statistics are, you know, they're, they're 
they're pretty firm on that. I think it's pretty much one for one. Uh, that's how life is. But we are called to live lives that declare to the world that we believe that God lives. And we are his children. And we will live with him forever. If that doesn't convince you, Jesus goes on and says in verse 27, Consider the lilies. They grow. They don't toil. I mean, you ever see a lily out there working hard? Oh, you know, I gotta, I gotta, I, I'm gonna put out this beautiful leaf, and uh, you know, I gotta have, I gotta, I gotta really work hard at this. Uh, nope, they don't toil, they don't spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. Have you considered the little flowers in the fields? Have you gone into the wild fields? I just kind of, you know, walked around. It's, it's winter, so it's a little harder now. But, you know, bring a magnifying glass. Your front lawn. My front lawn looks like a wild field. Go in your, wherever it is and just look. And particularly once we've had a little rain around here, I, the place just, it's gorgeous. I know we live in a desert, but it's a beautiful desert. You have to go out and you have to stop. This is why he says, consider. Take a moment. Go out and just look. These little, little flowers will pop up with these just gorgeous leaves. And you take out a magnifying glass. And by the way, if you have a phone, you know, it's, you've got a magnifying glass on that thing. And, and just, you just look. And the more you look, the more beautiful it is. The more detail there is. The further you stare at it, the more amazing and the more complex. And, and the more design and the more glory you see. This is, these, these are considered Weeds. People look at me like, ah, that's a weed. A weed? Have you looked at this weed? Have you actually stared at the flower on this thing? Have you actually paid any attention to the leaves on this and the veins and, and you know, the little, little waxy surface? And uh, have you just stared at it and actually paid attention? It is gorgeous and incredible. Why? Because God loves beauty. God loves creativity. God loves diversity. God loves all kinds of different things. And you look out in the fields, and what do we do with wild fields? Well, it grows up this wild grass, and then you go out, and we have machines now to do it. But you go out and you cut the grass, and you feed it to the animals. And it's really just, you know, big fields full of, I don't know, it's more than we can even go look at. Okay, the worthless, as it were, big fields full You go out and look, and guess what? God has clothed them with these beautiful flowers. Gorgeous flowers. Grass. The grass, if you have grass. The wild stuff that just grows out there. You cut it down, and you burn it. It it is, as it were, worthless. Which God is aware. I just kind of is. It covers the ground out there. Even that. God has clothed with beauty that Solomon would be jealous of. And so the point that Jesus is trying to make here is do you think that the God who designed the grass and designed the flowers and designed all of this amazing beauty here, do you think that he's not going to take care of us? We are made in the image of God. Nothing else on the planet is. So verse 28, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the furnace, 
How much more is he going to clothe you? What are you doing sitting around worrying about this? God is running the whole universe, and yet in the midst of running the universe, he actually has time to put flowers into the fields. You think he doesn't have time to look out for us? And then he goes on and he says, you men of little faith, and women too, by the way. Where's your faith? Are you not paying attention to what God is doing? This is what Jesus is trying to say to them. Are you not paying attention to what God is doing? If you're worried and you're letting it just consume your life, and, and you are not carrying out the responsibilities God has given you. You're not carrying out your responsibilities as an employee or an employer or as a spouse or a father or a parent or whatever in the world it is as a neighbor. And, and you're not carrying these things out. Why? Because you're just terrified. Uh, really? Where's your faith? Where, where's your faith? And you think God's not going to take care of you. God is not too busy God is, God is not out there doing something else. God doesn't have some other deal going. By the way, when God decided to enter into his creation and to become a part of his creation, God came to this planet. God became a human being. Jesus resurrected in a human body. Jesus sits today at the right hand of God in a human body. God is interested in this world. This is the one. This is the one that God so loved us that he sent his own son to die so that we might make it to heaven. This world. Jesus became a man here. Be careful about getting your theology from who knows where, you know. I mean, I like science fiction. It's always interesting. But, uh, you know, I've heard people say things like, well, my grandmother died, and I know she's in heaven, but I doubt she's paying any attention to us. I, she's got other things to do. You think so? You think, you think your grandmother, who loved her grandkids, gets to heaven and forgets about them? I, you Really? You think your grandmother doesn't have more love for her grandkids in heaven? Exactly what is it you think she's doing? What do you think is going on? God is paying attention to this world. This is what God is doing. This is the place God is paying attention. God has sent his son to this world. This is what matters to God. And so our lives matter to God. He is building a kingdom and a church and a people and a bride for himself. And that's us. This is what God is doing. He's not doing anything else. I mean, he's running the universe, but this is the focus of the plan of God. He's calling out a people unto himself. That's what we should be doing. That's what we should be focusing on. And since God has got this plan, and this is what God is carrying out, what are we worried about? Stop worrying. Nothing to worry about. God is in control. God is in charge. So he says in verse 29, don't seek what you will eat or what you will drink. And do not keep worrying. All these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your father knows that you need these things. God knows what we need. So, so what should we do? 
And of course, Jesus says it. I mean, the passage is that, that marvelous conclusion, right? Seek his kingdom first, and all these things will be added unto you. Seek the kingdom of God. Promote the kingdom of God. Be a member of the kingdom of God. Study the kingdom of God. Be a part of the kingdom of God. Declare that you're a member of the kingdom of God and live like you're part of the kingdom of God. Our citizenship, I I love our country. I'm glad I'm an American. I am thrilled that I am a part of this country and that, that we have a great heritage and that's all good and I'm patriotic. But the fact is, it's all said and done. My first citizenship is in heaven. And my first allegiance is to God. And if I get to the place where I have to choose as to whether I'm going to obey God or obey my country, I'm going with God. That is what we are called to do. And stop worrying about it. When the moment comes, Jesus has already said to them, don't worry if they drag you before the the governmental authorities. Don't worry about what you're going to say. God will give you what to say in that hour. It'll happen. In the meantime, live like you actually believe God reigns and you're his child. Live like it. You don't have to walk around all filled with worry and anxiety and depression and fear and, no, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I'll tell you what's going to happen tomorrow. God's going to be in charge tomorrow just like he's in charge today. Live accordingly. These are the words of Jesus. We claim to be the disciples of Jesus. We say we are the followers of Jesus. We are the pupils and the students. We are disciples. Let me close with this challenge that Jesus gives in the Sermon on the Mount. Why call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? Let's pray. Lord, you are King of kings and Lord of lords. You do rule and reign. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we forget that you have a plan and a purpose. And that we are part of that plan and purpose. And we are here to bring honor and glory to you by living like we believe you are who you say you are. May we not forget it. Give us wisdom and insight into how to best exemplify that in our lives every single day. May we strive to do that. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your son's sacrifice for us. May we strive to live like we truly believe it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.